All right, I'm not a lawyer, as all of you know. I'm a journalist. Michael Mulligan is a lawyer with Mulligan Defense Lawyers, legally speaking, on CFAX 1070, where we seek to better understand the law and how it pertains to current events and matters of public importance. Michael, good morning. Thank you for your time, as always. Great to be here. Now, you do appreciate we all eventually go to law school at some point. It's just a matter of time, right? (laughs) I was going to say, following (laughs) current events, it feels like we all need to these days. (laughs) So, I mean, the the one that uh, has been getting just so much discussion is through the issue of, you know, what's to be done with these people blockading uh, rail lines across the country, right? Yes. Um, And one of the things I found fascinating watching the debate about that um, is just how much clear misunderstanding there is about who has authority to do what. Hmm. Um, And some of that misunderstanding is probably just that, misunderstanding. Uh, But there are others engaged in the uh, debate, literally in Parliament, uh, that uh, may be uh, portraying something uh, intentionally misleading about who has authority to do what. And this is what I mean by that. Um, there's been much uh, uh, hand-waving and uh, posturing about things like suggesting that the Prime Minister, Mr. Trudeau, or somehow the Premier, uh, ought to do things like remove the RCMP from the wet sweat and land or uh, order the RCMP to go and clear the uh, protesters off the rail lines. Um, And uh, you see this on both sides. You see uh, the conservative uh, leader uh, saying, uh, Mr. Scheer, saying, well, you know, they should go in and clear these people off right now. And the prime minister suggesting some other approach would be appropriate. The reality of it is that in our system, the prime minister and the premier, neither of them, have authority to direct how the RCMP or the police are going to carry out their operations. And we are much better for it. Uh, in places where politicians and uh, can uh, order the police to go and do things or not do things, little good comes of that. Uh, there are many counterexamples, right? If you're in the Philippines or you're in China and the politicians take a dislike to you, um, some phone call is going to go out and the police are going to show up and uh, arrest you or do whatever they see fit. Or at the very least sit down for tea. Yeah, that's not good. And it is not our system. And so... Uh, both those that are calling on those politicians to do or not do things in terms of clearing blockades or arresting people or repositioning the police know not about what they speak. Uh, and furthermore, the politicians that are you know variously calling on one another or suggesting alternative approaches are, I would expect, do know what they're talking about, but may be a little disingenuous about uh, all of that. There's now, a lot of law degrees in the House of Commons. I'm just going to point that out. Yeah, and and one of the comments which I thought was uh, uh, should be focused on was there was a it's been played on CFAX this morning were the comments of Bill Blair, the yes. Minister of Public Safety, and he was speaking about uh, this offer by the RCMP to reposition the location of their um, uh, you know <laughs> encampment or whatever you would want to call it their station. Yes. Um, and uh, he quite correctly, if you listen carefully to what he had to say, indicated properly that this is, of course, completely up to the RCMP. He, Bill Blair, or the Prime Minister, do not have authority to tell the RCMP where and how they should set up their detachment or where and how they should go and enforce this order. The order is an order of Madam Justice Church, and this is important to know as well. There's been reference to the judge's reasons, which set out all of uh, how it is, the evidence she considered uh, when uh, making her order. Yes. 
But then at, at the end of a, a, a court application like that, there is a thing produced called the order. And it is literally the order of the court specifying what exactly is to be done and not done. He's and holding that's a separate, his hand. That's yeah. a separate thing from the rationale for how the judge came to the order. But then there is the order. It's got a stamp for the British Columbia Supreme Court on the top of it. And it is entitled, Order Made After Application, the Honorable Madam Justice Church. And what happens following an application like this in court, and the judge makes her decision and gives her reasons, the lawyer who was successful would draft the order. The lawyer for the other side would review it and sign off on it in terms of form. Then it would go back to the court to sign, and it becomes the order. And the order is clear. The order is this. The court further orders that any peace officer... BN is hereby ordered to enforce the injunction order set out in paragraph one and two above and in furtherance of the same sets out what they are to do. Um, And that is what directs the RCMP to do what they're doing in terms of removing people that are obstructing the construction of the natural gas pipeline. Now, here, the judge did grant uh, the RCMP discretion in terms of the timing and manner of enforcement. So the police retain that operational discretion, but that is discretion for the RCMP. It is not discretion for the Prime Minister. It's not discretion for the Premier. Those people are not part of the process in our system of government. They don't get to tell the police where and how to operate. Bill Blair has it quite right, and you would expect he would. He's the former chief of police from Toronto. Um, He understands fully that policing in Canada is not directed by politicians. Um, they are free to uh, enforce the law. They have a fair bit of discretion in terms of how they do that. And that's healthy as well, right? The uh, Not in every case would there be a necessity of a court order directing the police to do something. And we saw that, for example, uh, with the protesters laying down in front of the premier's home the other day. Yes. The police simply showed up and uh, decided to enforce the criminal code provisions against mischief. And so arrested the people and off they went. Um, but in other cases, there can be a specific direction to the police to do something, and that's what's occurred here. And so, well, the Prime Minister or others uh, might make suggestions or might have some um, moral suasion or might try to encourage people to do or not do things. They do not have control over how the police are enforcing this order, and the police are directed to do this. It's not up to them either. So to those who suggest that, well, the RCMP should do this or the RCMP should do that, or you've got all this provocative language uh, about uh, how the RCMP are uh, behaving, they are obliged to do this. And if you conclude that Madam Justice Church has made an error in her decision, there's a remedy for that. The remedy for that is an appeal. Yes. File the appeal. Um, you don't, if you don't like a judge's order, appeal to the premier. You don't appeal to the prime minister. It's not up to the leader of the official opposition. If you take issue with the order of a court, uh, we have a remedy for it. The remedy is an appeal. File one. Um, and so to all of those that are um, calling on various people uh, to do things or not do things, they should think carefully about who actually has the authority to do and not do things. And as I see it, many of those people are either completely misinformed about who has authority to do or not do anything or are saying and not saying things for various political advantage. Like when the 
leader of the opposition stands up and says things like, you know, why isn't the prime minister clearing the people off the rail line? Yes, people yes. are out of work. Well, the prime minister has no authority to clear people off the rail lines. But what is happening as all of these people are um, saying and doing things um, is that CN Rail is uh, one province at a time going to court and obtaining injunctions to remove the people from the rail lines. Uh, one was granted in uh, Alberta. I think it was just the day before yesterday. Yes. And so the police are out now dutifully enforcing the order and removing the people from the rail lines. The Prime Minister has no input into that, whether he like it or not. That's, that's what is simply occurring. Uh, and that's how the system should operate. You don't want these decisions being made on the basis of some political calculation. Uh, you don't want police enforcement actions being done because they would be popular or unpopular. Um, the uh, uh, people with uh, whose uh, uh, rights are being interfered with, the company CN Rail, right, is going to go to court, yeah. obtain orders, and you would expect the police to do their duty, enforce the orders, and remove the people from the tracks. And that has nothing to do with uh, the political calculation on either side of the aisle. In fact, it could take place without Parliament ever even knowing about it. They need not be involved at all. That's true, and as it should be. Yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, when, when they have these sort of, you know, when the, you have these reports of like, well, there's an emergency cabinet meeting or people are debating what should be done. There, there are some things, of course, which could be done politically. Like we saw, for example, with the uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline. Yes. We're going to buy the whole thing. Yeah, we're going to buy it. Yeah. So, fair enough. There are other interventions which could be made, right? You could do things like, well, offer to buy the entire multi-billion dollar project that would be an available option but the uh, politicians it is not an available option to them uh, to tell the police what to do or how to do it or whether to enforce the order or not and to be perfectly blunt they're not even a part of the litigation like the neither the provincial government nor the federal government are a part of the litigation uh, involving uh, the order that uh, the uh, protesters stopped blocking the physical construction of the natural gas pipeline. That litigation is with respect to, it's the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline Limited uh, versus uh, various Hudson. John, yeah. Jean Doe's and various named people who are the people out obstructing the pipeline. The uh, neither level of government has anything to do with that litigation uh, and they have uh, frankly no input into it and people should understand that uh, before they start laying down in front of the wrong car or calling on people to do or not do various things who simply have no authority to do or not do them. Michael, thank you for explaining that to us. I think it benefits all of the public to know. Parliament puts words on paper that apply to everyone generally. Courts interpret those words on paper in individual situations and make orders where appropriate, and police enforce those orders where appropriate. Right, and it's important that they continue to do so independent of political influence, yeah. right? That is an important value. Um, you do not want to live in a country uh, where politicians are sending the police in or not sending the police in based on various political calculations. And happily, there is no authority to do that. So people should stop suggesting otherwise or uh, waving their arms around or demanding that they do or do not do something which they have simply no capacity to do. All right. Quick break. Legally Speaking continues after this. All right, we're back on the air here. CFAX 1070, legally speaking, Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers, helping us understand a number of legal matters. I know you've been following the issue with ICBC and its proposed restructuring very closely, Michael. I have been, yes. We've talked about that, the uh, proposed move to uh, a no-fault system. 
Um, and one of the elements about that proposal that um, certainly caught my attention and caused me some significant concern um, was the uh, announcement that uh, this proposed change, which is premised on uh, the great description from uh, Mr. Eby of ICBC being a financial dumpster fire, so an emergency, that's the uh, premise of this proposal or the need for this, propo- this proposed change, is conveniently for the government uh, supposed to produce refund checks being mailed out to people shortly before the next provincial election. Um, anytime that kind of a proposal is made, I, I think it uh, calls on some of us to carefully scrutinize uh, why it is that uh, there is an emergency that would produce such a politically um, uh, interesting and potentially helpful result to the provincial government. Is that... Uh, is the justification for that uh, crass political announcement justified? Mm. And so I, I'm probably the, uh, I can't imagine this is a uh, exactly a uh, overwhelmed internet site, uh, but I took the time to download the consolidated financial statements of the Insurance Corporation of British Columbia to try to assess what kind of a financial dumpster fire might we be dealing with. Um, and is that um, great analogy... Uh, a, a legitimate justification for the proposed political decision to send people money back before they go and vote. Their own money, of course. Mm. And when I did that, looking carefully at the numbers, there is, I think, real cause for concern about whether the suggested emergency exists at all. Mm. Here's why. Why? So let's look at the financial statement here is for the period March 31st, 2018 to March 31st, 2019. Now, in the asset column for ICBC, um, it lists all the various assets held by the company, including financial investments. This would be the, the pool of money that the previous government uh, took from in order to help balance their budget. They took out, I think, $1.2 billion. Well, for the period of March 31st, 2018 to March 31st, 2019, ICBC's assets, including principally those financial assets, grew by $1.8 billion. So the uh, assets of the Corporation of British, Insurance Corporation of British Columbia for that one-year period of time increased by significantly more than uh, the amount of money that the previous government took out to help balance their budget. And you might ask, how are they then justifying increasing ICBC rates for everyone when the amount of money they are taking in vastly exceeds the amount of money that they are paying out because that is what occurred to that period of over that period of time to the tune of 1.8 billion dollars here's the answer in the liabilities column one of the things listed is this it's entitled provision for unpaid claims yes And that figure, which is associated with this massive financial note in the financial statement, um, is a judgment call, an actuarial judgment call, uh, trying to predict how much the corporation might in the future have to pay out for current claims, liabilities. These are the unpaid liability claims, correct? Correct. And so what they did in the same period of time where there is a $1.8 billion increase in assets is that they adjusted in one year this provision for unpaid claims upwards by $2.39 billion. Is the current amount $14.3 billion? 
14.287, yes, oh, correct. Yeah, Rick McCandless has written about this as well. He talks about the UCL balance by premium and other revenues. That's invested assets pending to settlement with drawdown. He says the float produces investment income used to lower premiums. Correct, that's correct. But it's a, a absolute sharp turn to the right between 2018 and 2019. In 2018, they estimated that their liabilities were $11.895 billion, and in one year... They just increased that estimate to 14.287. That's how they're justifying uh, the fact that their assets are uh, growing enormously, such because the amount they're actually paying out is less than the amount of money they're taking in. And they're justifying that saying, we've just reassessed what we think we might in the future have to pay out. And there's a long explanation for sort of the judgment calls and different ways that might be um, arrived at. Mm. But we should view it be, with real skepticism. And the reason we should be so skeptical is when you have an organization that is making a suggestion, the move to no fault, which from its perspective helps entrench it as a monopoly insurance provider, allows it to make decisions which would not be reviewable by an independent court and instead rely on things like a resolution tribunal where the government appoints temporarily all the people making the decisions and where the proposal would lead to rebate checks being mailed out right before the election there should i should not be one of the few people downloading the consolidated financial statements of icbc and looking carefully at whether the government's claim of emergency generally genuinely justifies what it is they're proposing because what they're proposing um not only has the effect of entrenching this company and maintaining its monopoly position, but it has the real potential to cause um, unfair treatment of a large number of people and in a way which would be politically beneficial to the current government by producing these rebates. The chair of the board of directors, by the way, is Joy McPhail. I know, I interviewed her right? the other day, yeah. So we ought to think and look at that very carefully, and there ought to be some careful questions asked when you have a company whose assets are ballooning over a very short period of time when the government is claiming that it is a financial dumpster fire and unsustainable. We ought to look carefully at that and ask some probing questions about whether these assessments and assumptions are accurate uh, and whether proposals coming out uh, of this company that would be beneficial to the current government are accurate and well-founded. Uh, because it may be uh, that without careful examination, people have just bought into a uh, a short, pithy uh, description of the company without bearing down on what, in fact, is going on over there. Now, Rick McCandless uh, wrote to me earlier this week and produced an analysis that I think aligns with much of what you said. I love your thoughts. He wrote that starting in May of 2021, there will be next to no accruing of lump sum payouts, as you and I have noted, yep. and the current UCL balance will decline as the old tort-type injury claims are settled. He says the average uh, time period for that occurring is 40 months for a given claim. He says instead, the new injury cases will be paid on the pay-as-you-go basis. But, he writes, ICBC will still accrue a liability for each claim and file in order to estimate its liabilities. Right? So, in essence, there's no difference. He writes, the money for future payouts, whether one-time or monthly, will still exist. He argues that where the savings will occur, the $400 per month, is because of the elimination of pain and suffering payments and the elimination of most of ICBC's legal costs and disbursements for both sides, including expert reports, etc. Your thoughts? Well, I guess I would just say approach this with a very healthy degree of skepticism. Indeed. 
if you have a government-controlled entity which is making a proposal which would be advantageous for it and disadvantageous for the people of B.C., while at the same time uh, producing a uh, refund check right before an election. We ought to be very skeptical about claims they're making in terms of whether this is a genuine emergency that calls for those steps because the steps proposed uh, just happen to be very appealing if you are ICBC and very appealing uh, if you are the government, right? If somebody comes to you with a proposal saying, hey, how do you like the idea of this? That sounds great. Uh, and I think it just uh, behooves us all to look carefully at whether those claims are accurate and true, particularly when the numbers tell us their assets are increasing very substantially over a very short period of time. Yes. And what is proposed as an offsetting figure for that is very much an exercise of judgment, uh, which has changed radically in a one-year period of time. Those two facts ought to cause you to be skeptical about what is being claimed. Indeed. Michael Mulligan, thank you as always for your knowledge and analysis. Legally speaking, during the second half of our second hour, every Thursday here on CFAX 1070.